Joshua begins right after the period at the end of Deuteronomy. It's, it's that fast. And the book begins with the history, not of Joshua's life, but of the reign and the government that is to take place in the chapter. What kind of government, what type of overseeing is to take place with these people who are about to cross Jordan's stormy banks? And so God appoints to him or appoints him to the government in the stead of Moses. Joshua is being appointed to be their ruler and he gives them, he gives him actually a very ample commission found in verses 1 through 9. And he accepts the government. He accepts the governing of the people and addresses himself immediately to this business. If you continue reading, and he orders the officers and the elders of the land and the people in general, particularly two tribes and a half, in verses 12 through 15. So he accepts the responsibility that is laid upon him as God's minister having been given the authority to govern the people. And then you will see later on in verses 16 through 18 in Joshua chapter 1 that the people therefore agree to it and take an oath of fealty to Joshua. And a reign which thus begins with God could not but be honorable to the prince and comfortable to its subject. And so the people are, have a leader who is comfortable being the leader and the people are comfortable being led by the man who is comfortable being their leader. That is just by way of introduction. And so verses 1 through 9 speaks specifically as to how he is to govern. It does not speak to his biography. It does not speak to his integrity. It does not speak to his ability. God commissions him, calls him, and Moses is now gone. And now a man who does not have similar skill, who does not have similar wisdom, who does not have similar ability is called by the same one that called Moses has now called him. And if you have God, you got all that you need, right? But we don't wish to be that pithy because that's not how God says it. God says, this is what it means to have me commissioning you as leader. And so the time was when it was given to him. Notice the text says, after the death of Moses. So this message of assurance begins after the death of Moses. Number one, after the death of Moses. As soon as ever Moses was dead. Moses died at the age of 120. At the age of 40, he ran into the wilderness having killed uh, some folks there in Egypt. He went into the burning bush sometimes later at the age of 80. He goes back to Pharaoh. He says, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. And then for another 40 years leads them in the wilderness wandering and consequently now has died. And during that whole time, God has been using Moses to train his armor bearer, his understudy, his personal assistant, his military attache, his adjutant, his executive officer, who now when we come to Joshua chapter 1 is also 80 years old. Now you think about that. 80 years wandering out there in that desert 
What do you, or 40 for, well, for Moses for sure, but you think about what did Joshua look like? You know, he probably had a very dark complexion. His, his skin was like leather. And here he is, 80 years old. You would think he'd be worn out, but you see, he saw a promise. He saw a promise of a future. God had promised something to the humble man, the humble servant Moses, that they would take that land. And and Joshua, who has not the ability, not the skill, not the wisdom, but has the same God and has courage, says, I will take these people into the inheritance by God's grace and command. And so what has happened is you have Joshua took upon himself the administration by virtue of his solemn ordination in Moses' lifetime. And during this time, the commentators wonder from the moment that Moses died to the moment that the ordination became effective in inauguration took place in the life of Joseph, Joshua, was it immediately or 30 days for a time of healing and mourning? It does not matter. It doesn't matter. We, all we know is he is the leader. And they are sitting there at Jordan's stormy banks. They are at the widest part. They are at the deepest part. And they are at the part that is flooding. That's where, and they have no pontoon boats. They have no all-terrain vehicles. They have nothing. And they are about to be given the command to cross the river. They are about to be told to do something that is completely impossible. But we are reminded as the people of God, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Amen. No other reason would He have sent Him to the deepest place the widest place and the place and in the season that is flooding. Because God does that. And before I anticipate myself and completely leave my notes, I just want you to remember that I shall visit it in a moment. And so the time of lamenting the loss, perhaps they had it. If there was a 30-day period of mourning, which would be custom, there would have been two things they would have done. And I only give this to you by way of courtesy you might wish to write down. One was to lament the loss of Moses. The Bible says Moses was the most humble man that ever walked the earth. Outside of Jesus Christ, he is without a doubt the greatest pastor. The most magnificent book I read on Moses was written by Chuck Swindoll. It is simply fascinating. I will loan it to you if you like under the promise of death that you will return it. And I'm not talking about mine. Your, no, I'm kidding. But I will loan it to you. I would be happy to. It is fantastic because you see Moses not just as a lawgiver. You see Moses as a pastor. He is the perfect pastor. He is the perfect pastor. And of course, Moses is a forerunner of who? Jesus the Redeemer. But so is Joshua. So is Joshua. So one, if they were mourning, they had the, they had the opportunity. Now, are you listening? Say amen. They had the opportunity to lament their past, but there's something else they did. In that time of mourning, I am quite sure that they also came to the place of deep sorrow and repentance for the way they behaved towards Moses. 
These are a people that are a stiff-necked people. These people are, have strong will and full of vexations. They are not high in emotional intelligence. They do what they feel and they feel what they do. They are people that have struggled greatly and they caused Moses great pain. To the point once that Moses asked God to kill him and then he repented and then God said, I'm going to kill him. And he said, please don't do it, just kill me. So I believe if that 30 days took place, he liked pastors, not today that pray to kill their people or God kill them, but he went and he made intercession for them and now he is gone. Moses is dead. They're mourning his loss and they're probably mourning the loss of their parents who died in the wilderness because they rebelled against God and his prophet. Number two, the place that Joshua had been in before is now preferred. Moses was the, was the executive officer. He was in second command. He was, he was 40 years junior to Moses. He was there with him. He was his immediate attendant. He was his adjutant and he was his assistant in the business. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses a Greek word that says a workman under Moses. But another term that I discovered is simply this. He was Moses' armor bearer. The armor bearer is a person whose function is to lay down his own personal vision. He lays down his own personal vision at the feet of God and picks up the vision of the man of God and serves him and then God will fulfill his vision in his obedience to the man of God. There are five armor bearers in scripture. This is the story of their life. This is how they were blessed. They, it was a position of sacrifice. They sacrificed their own dreams to pick up the dreams of another man and assist him. And that is the reason why Joshua's position up to this point was not preferred and now it is the preferred position because now Joshua is the leader. Do you know what that means? You can never truly lead until you know how to follow you may be able to run a race. You may be able to run a race of a hundred meters. But until you learn to follow, you will never get your feet in the chalks on the track. And it doesn't matter where you end. It doesn't matter where you start. If you don't know how to follow, you will not have the skills to finish the race because you have not started at the right place. When I went to Texas A&M years ago and entered and matriculated through the Corps of Cadets and other people would know the same story, the first thing they told us, if you're going to lead, we're going to break you and teach you to follow. And this, this is the truth no matter who you are, no matter what your experience or your brilliance or whatnot or the lack thereof, 
the ability to lead directly is, rela is related to the ability to follow and obey, to do what you're told, whether you like it or not. I have a friend in the military. He and I went through junior high and high school together to Andrews. His name is Matt Good. Matt Good and I graduated together from Andrews High School in 1991. His father was our school guidance counselor. And Matt was going to ROTC at Texas Tech University. And I said, well, Matt, I'm going to A&M, and I'm going to go spend the night with the Corps. Why don't you go with me? He went to A&M, spent the night with the Corps, graduated from A&M as uh, on Corps staff. He was the uh, commander of the fish drill team, and now he is a United States Marine Corps full bird colonel, commander of the 7th Infantry Division of the United States Marine Corps that made General James Mattis Mad Dog Mattis. He soon will be a general. He is 48 years old. And he is a solid piece of steel. His grandparents still live in Andrews. And I came across something the other day where it was talking where these military advisors, and this is, this is something that's somewhat out of my lane, but I wish to speak it to you to resonate, where there are some in the military chain of command that have chosen for whatever reason to resign their commissions because they believe that some things are going wrong. And it was encouraged to me that perhaps I should speak to my friend who is in the 7th Infantry Division. Now folks, the 7th Infantry Division is not in the supply chain. These are the first ones in. These are the killers. This guy's seen three tours of combat, okay? and he's the commander. He's not the sub-commander. Go look on the USMC. Matt T. Good, class of 95, Texas A&M, Colonel, Commander, 7th Infantry Division, 7th Infantry Battalion, 1st Division, 1st Brigade. Very impressive fella. Loves the Lord. But, if, but here's the thing. It was an encouragement was made. I should ask him to go exert his rights and tell his commanding officers how he feels. What we must realize, my dear friends, in this time of carping and complaining, if our military men and women decide to go exert their rights, who took their commissions to lay down their rights for your rights, we will have no standing military. Our soldiers have chosen, and Marines, airmen, Corpsmen, whatever, Army, Coast Guard, and everything in between, they have chosen to lay down the freedoms that you and I have so that they may defend the freedoms that you and I have. We are living not only in a culture of division, we are living in a culture that's far worse. It's a culture of resignation. It is a culture of resignation, and we don't need to be resigning our commission specifically the commission God has given us to be the light and the life of this world. And if Joshua had quit, I guarantee you what God would have done. He'd have raised up another one. But Joshua was prepared because he had been giving up for 40 years. And you think about the test that he had in that 40 years. Do you believe one second? Don't doubt it. Joshua knew those things thick-necked, stiff-necked people that gave Moses trouble are about to give him trouble. Because what does he have to do? 
divide them. Right? And so let me say this to you. He was a workman under Moses. Only a person that does not know how to follow could make such a desirous command of someone else that they should exert their right and defend their right and leave the wall which will leave you barren. Until you learn to follow, you cannot lead. That's not even virtue signaling. That's not even moral justification. It is what the Bible calls foolishness. So he was here called to honor and he had been bred for the business. Our Lord Jesus Himself took on the form of the servant in Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 9, specifically 5 through 9, where He took on the form of a servant. The Bible says a slave, a slave who washes the feet of the Jews, a slave who does the dirty work, a slave who carries out the chamber pot, a slave who is not part of ethnic Israel, not part of the Jewish cult, a slave that is the lowest of all things, one that is chattel, and He came and took on that that at... That taking it on, he said that it would not even be cursed to be crucified on the tree and that at his sacrifice, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is our heritage. It is to serve God, not man. And he that was to succeed Moses was intimately acquainted with him that he might fully know his doctrine and his manner of life and his purpose and his long-suffering. Where is that found actually? That is the testimony of Moses in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. And it might take... That is this. God put, put Joshua with Moses during this time that he might take the same measure, that he might take the same spirit, that he might take the same steps to carry out the same works that Moses did. And so what happens? What happens here? He was here in a type of Christ who might therefore be called Moses' minister. Comparing Moses to God, Joshua to Christ... He was Moses' minister because he, had, he was made under the law, but he was fulfilled all the righteousness of it. That's what takes place. And this is one of the issues we need today in America. And we need today in the church. And we need it in our church. We need people to fully subscribe to the Word of God. There must be full subscription. Write this word down. You are going to hear me using this the next year, especially as, as I'm about to begin a series of messages on Sunday morning entitled Distinctives. And they will be the distinctives of the journey. The distinctives. Fools. And, and they will not be distinctives that we will ask you to have full subscription of. But they will be distinctives that anyone that leads will. It's like the difference of saying, okay, I want to get the Wall Street Journal Sunday edition instead of, the week, instead of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Well, that's a partial subscription. But the church needs full subscription to the Word of God. Amen? And it needs full subscription to the faith that has been handed down from the beginning. And so there are statements of faith written by holy men that are summations not of men's thoughts but summations of God's Word that are handy. 
Right now in that room, Kara Kelly is teaching the girls, and you will see this, and the young man who's quite blessed to be around those three pretty girls, and will have another one to accompany him soon. The well, I guess I should say four pretty girls. I don't want to leave the teacher out. But uh, the thing is that we're going to bring the children in here soon, and they're going to stand up, and some one of you is going to ask them, what is the chief end of man? And they're going to answer you, and they're going to give you the Bible verse, and you're going to go, how come I never learned that? Because you were never taught it was important. There's that view that says how I relate to the state that says my job as a citizen is to conform the state to my image. And then there are other views that says the state is made up of ministers. Those that are the ministers of the state, the judges, the, 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 uh, the, the congressmen, the president, they are God's ministers. And because they are God's ministers, they are answerable to God whether they believe it or not. They are answerable to God no matter what their country is they live in or what constitution or the lack thereof. They are responsible. And the response of the church, particularly the minister of the gospel, is to say when you have overstepped your bounds before God, you should repent. Not go march on Washington. Not go storm the Capitol. Go storm it in the hearts of the people that live in the hearing of His voice. And they can call and do that. You understand? Yes? That is the job. Because Joe Biden's calling is just as valid as mine. Regardless of how he got there, he is God's minister. And that's one thing I should say to you as I move on. Be very careful what you say about God's men. I get over it if you say we're going to have roast pastor today. But there's way too much roast president. You should spend more time praying about and for him than you do listening to the news about him. And I will tell you what will happen to you. Your disposition will change. You'll become a happy person. Because I will tell you, it's a, it is, it is, it, that is the teaching of Scripture. Look at what God is establishing the government of the nation of Israel right here. He is not doing it in a political system. He's doing it one man who leads one family. It's where it starts. Probably this happened at his kitchen table. So let me move on. He was here in a type of Christ. So here's number three. The calling... The call itself that God gave him is a very full calling. Let me just show you this. Number one, the consideration upon which he was called to government. He says, this is the situation which had happened. It's in verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. You see, all good men are God's servants, supposedly. And it is no disparagement, but an honor to be the greatest of men to be a servant of God. It is an honor to be the greatest of men and also to be a servant of God. But the angels, the Bible says, are also 
God's ministers. And Moses was called to an extraordinary work. And what was he? He was a steward to the household of Israel. He was a steward to God's house. And in the discharge of the trust that was put upon him, what did he do? He did not serve himself. He served God who employed him. He was faithful as a servant and with his eye of, to the Son which is intimated in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 5 where what he did and he said was a testimony of the things that would be spoken of after. He did not ever see what God had laid in his heart but he knew that what God had laid in his heart that indeed he would be the servant to God and none other. One of the most, the, we have been through an entire summer that started with the sermon on stewardship. When we did the message on the curse is broken, I don't know if anything happened to you, but something happened in me. I have not been the same since the unrecorded sermon of the curse is broken. Something's changed inside of me. It may not be for you to see but something changed in me. But the idea of stewardship is simply this. Take this for example. We, particularly of the, of the stock and marrow that we come from, us folks that live south of the Red River in the empire of Texas, we tend to hold our own selfishness very close to us where no one could call us selfish. And as a result, we act out in such a way that we help people to our own degradation or diminishment because we don't want to be seen as selfish, which not wanting to be seen as selfish is in fact what? Selfish. So it would be like this. A wise person helped me with this the other day on the phone, a 70-year-old grandmother that I've, I've only met over the phone. I've never met in person. And, and it would be like this. Let's say that um, I get a phone call in the middle of the night at 2 in the morning, and it's Robert. And Robert says, James, I'm having a heart attack. Rita's taken me to the hospital. I need you to come right now. Now, that would be an appropriate call. I'm his pastor. But let us say that for the sake that I might actually do that, which I would, but I leave the house and I go straight to the hospital and I show up and Rita says, why did you come in your underwear? Because in my desire to leave the house, to go minister to him, to make him my priority, I did not take care of the number one priority. And that was me. And so I show up in my Duluth underwear. Right? What have I done wrong? I have considered him my priority to the expense of my own centeredness and carefulness. How many times have any of you gotten crossways with people that you love because something happened, you were giving your time, but you had not prepared yourself to give that time. You have not been selfish, and see that word's a bad word, it's not. 
You have not taken the time to center yourself where you can be the best. And I will tell you, you you that had been with me for 10 years, you know that when James doesn't take care of himself, he harms the church. And you would rather him take care of himself and then come help the church. Right? But you have to be willing to do that too. And this is what takes place here. All the stuff that Moses had, Joshua doesn't have. Joshua's not Moses. Joshua's Joshua. Moses is a scholar and a war general, the adopted son of Pharaoh. Joshua, he's none of that. And so what does he, he learn? He hadn't learned anything. He's, he hadn't been taught anything. He's caught everything walking with Moses. But here's the thing that takes place. He takes on this, con, this concept of stewardship because his eye is on the same dream. And so I quote, God will own... Listen to me. God, this is from... Uh, What's his name? The great old commentator that everyone has. Matthew Henry. You should all have a Matthew Henry. If you don't, let me help you get one. Matthew Henry is used by the most brilliant preachers today because it is so devotionally resplendent. Listen to this. Matthew Henry says, God will own His servants, will confess them in the great day. His servants are going to be announced greatly one day. But Moses, though God's servant, the one and one that could ill be spared, is now dead. For God will change hands to show whatever instrument He uses, He is not tied to any one. Moses, when he had done his work as the servant dies and goes to rest of his labors and enters the joy of his Lord and observe that God takes notice of the death of his servants for he says in Psalm 116 verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. The call itself, notice what it says, Now therefore arise. Though Moses is dead, the work must go on. Therefore arise and go about it. He said, listen, let not weeping hinder the sorrow, nor the withering of the most useful hands be weakened of ours. For when God has work to do, He will either find or make an instrument fit for Him to carry it out. Take hope in that, United States of American Empire Texans. God is making or will find the instrument that He chooses to use. He always has and He always will. Amen? That should encourage you. He sets up rulers and He takes them down. That's what He does. And so this is the call. And because Moses is dead, therefore the work... devolves unto thee as his successor, unto thou wast appointed. In other words, the King James says it this way. The King James Egan says it this way. The work must go on. Amen? And so, I'm going to skip a few things. This particular service was now called out to, and he says over here, he says, Arise, go over this Jordan, the river which I have, which you have in view, and on the banks of which you lie in camp. Let me tell you something. Whenever God calls a leader, God is going to try the leader. 
And so Moses, uh, Joshua has the best tent facing, I mean, he's got riverside property. So his tent's right there overlooking the river. And he says, go look at it, I want you to cross it. And Joshua doesn't even say, what do you mean go cross it? Joshua was there when they crossed the Red Sea too. Joshua has seen what God does. Cross the river? Well, God, I don't know if you're ever going to say this, but I do believe that what's impossible with man is possible with God. And so here is this inextricable, impassable, improbable, impossible obstacle. And Joshua goes out there and he's told to look. And he tells him this. This is what he commands him. Make preparation to go. Now wait a minute. Make preparation to go. Can you imagine them going out through all those millions of people and says, we're supposed to make preparations to go across the river. It's swollen. And what do you think they're doing? They're doing what they've always done. They start complaining. They just start complaining. I mean, the pragmatists come up and said, now, you know, saying stuff like that, you're going to get yourself killed. You know, you're going to get voted out as the leader. Uh, you know, uh, and then the engineers come up and say, there's no way to do this. And then the conspiracy people, they come up and say, well, that's really not a flooded river. That's actually a flat earth. By the way, those of you that watch Star Wars, anybody watch Star Wars? I have a marvelous picture that says the Death Star is flat. If you know what I'm talking about, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But it is cool. The Death Star is flat. So he gives the order to make preparations for passing the river with no visible way to do it. You know what? To tell them to do what they don't want to do, what they don't believe they can do, what they don't believe is necessary, that they don't believe is possible, is an act of faith. Welcome to the ministry. It's an act of faith. And so what happens, chapter 3 verse 15 says it is now overflown. Overflowed. Overflown. And going over Jordan was to go into Canaan, the promised land, and thus the honor, of, as the Bible says in Deuteronomy, he had the honor of bringing many sons to glory, which is reserved for Christ, the captain of our salvation, who also appears in the book of Joshua. Number four, the grant of the land of Canaan to the children of Israel had been repeated. Look at verse four. Verses 2 and 4, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, rise across the Jordan, all this people, the land which I am giving them, the sons of Israel, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you just as I spoke to Moses. And from the wilderness of the Lebanon, even to far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the lands of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea, the Mediterranean, towards the setting of the sun will be yours. Notice there is no mention of Palestinians there. There is no mention of Palestinians. The promised land goes from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River in Iraq. That is the border by which God has established. And Jeremiah was told when the land was captured to go by the deed. And that deed is still held by God. And one day... He will make plain what we cannot see because He is God. And so moving on, the promise God makes to Joshua is for his encouragement. Notice right here. He should be sure of the presence of God. And this is how I want to encourage you. I could actually stop with this uh, and I may. I want to encourage you with this. Look at verse 5 because this promise is for you. This promise applies to you. This is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. 
He says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, and just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Now here's the thing. Joshua was sensible how far he had come short of Moses' wisdom and grace. But Moses, but what Moses did was done by the virtue of the presence of God with him. Moses was not successful because he was humble and gracious and kind and well-educated. Moses was successful because he had the presence of the Lord. And so what happens? Joshua had not always the same presence of mind of, of Moses, but he did have the same presence of the Lord, which made him successful. He always had the same presence of God, and he would do well enough. And note, it is a great comfort to those of us today that lived so many years ago of the rising generation of people coming forth that are both ministers and Christians, that are people that are of the same grace, though different in talent and different in understanding and different in color and creed and everything, it, the presence of the Lord is sufficient for those who wish and who are called to go before God's people and lead them to be the sons and daughters of God they're meant to be. The same God. And it is no wonder that the New Testament calls us priests and it calls us kings and those things. That's what you are. You have the same presence. And what is that presence? It has been guaranteed to you through the Holy Spirit at the moment that you stepped truly into saving grace. That grace. When you got the state of grace, you immediately got the escrow. Refer to Ephesians 1 and 2. You may not have the same skill, but you sure enough got the same God. Amen? Let that encourage you. Let that encourage you. Moses had assured him of this in Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, that though he must now leave him, God never would. And here God Himself confirms the word of His servant Moses and engages never to leave Joshua. He says it right here, I will not fail you or forsake you. One of the things I have to remember considering the history that I have living in this community is that it can never be as bad as it once was. It can never be as bad as it once was. But you know what? It's really pretty good and better because I get to get up and go to church on Sunday morning, experience worship, not just as a leader, but as a sheep, as a layman, as a Christian with people I truly love and am excited to see and have absolutely no gripe or concern with because the curse is broken. And I've never had that. I love what we have. And I know the vision and the thing that's calling us. And I, I believe I know where we're going. But it doesn't matter. God does. Because I know this. Despite all of my trials and traumas and troubles and tick all of you offedness I have, I have the same God you do. And we long to be stewards and obedient to what He says. Gracious in all things, 
truthful in all things, and charitable in all things. I want to give you something that I just need you to hear. You need to take this with you. This has nothing to do with the message, but it is impressed upon me at the moment to tell you this. There is nothing wrong with you listening to someone tell you something you completely, totally disagree with or despise. And there's nothing wrong with you for liking a person that says that. The mark of true intelligence, I can say something about this, the mark of true intelligence is that you can hear what a person says without accepting it or internalizing it. Now, do you want to know how this is very practical? This is very practical if you believe somebody has said something ugly about you. Or you believe somebody thinks something about you. I'm old enough now, Larry, approaching 50. I told these youngsters that are about to get married, when you're in your 20s, youngsters, when you're in your 20s, you're worried about what everybody thinks about you. When you get in your 30s, you find a little bit of hubris and you decide, I don't give a rip what anybody thinks about me. <laughs> and when you get in your 40s, you finally realize no one was ever thinking about you anyway. <laughs> Can I get an oh me or an amen? I don't know what you think when you're 50. I think when you're 50, you think, I hope the kids will come home and call sometime. Yeah? Yes? Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, he was going to be told a lot of things. But he had full subscription to God. And God tells him what to do in verses 6 through 9. He tells him, If God is for you, who can be against you? That's what he says. So I want you to think about this in the circumstances you're in today. If God is for you, who can be against you? What can they do? There were reports this week from credible Christian, not news people. These are theological things that I, journals, I, and when I say I read journals, or I read trade journals, my trade. I don't read the news. But I received word this week that simply said this, the underground church in Kabul is now at home with the Lord. I have been looking all over the internet. I cannot find that. But they will be. The underground church in Kabul is now at home with the Lord, stating they had been martyred. I think it happens to be a false report, but they will be. They will be. And their blood will cry out for our deliverance and for the justice of the Lord. They will win in the end. May we, Almighty God, may we stand the same. Should it happen, and we're not even expected to here, it's inconceivable. And if it does, I will stand. I will stand. And if I cannot stand, I will pray, oh God, stand. Because it says in the scripture, if you have fallen, then when you have, when you have resisted and can resist no more, resist. 
And what will I resist? There is nothing man can do to me. And I got, I talked to Larry about it, my, my uh, mirror friend, and this week I got, I, part I think the reason this message is resonating in my own heart is this week my old mistress showed up and you'd say, who's that? Anger. And it was something that was, it was wrong. It was everything else. It wasn't any church person. But oh man, that mistress showed up. I hadn't kissed on her in a long time. But she's gone now. Because as I sat before the Lord this morning, this scripture and said, and why did you get angry? It's because you took your eyes off of me when I have told you this is the inheritance of my children. You do your job. I take care of the rest. And because you got angry, you did not keep my word. And so I exact from you repentance to restore the relationship that it may go well with you. What a great assurance. But I was mad. But I don't want to be defined by that. And so let me show you. What does he tell him to do? Last, this is it. I'm skipping everything. This is it. What does he have to do? He tells him, you have to do what I say. You see, you need, he says to him, you must observe to do all according to the law. He uses the word meditate. To this end, he must meditate therein. Meditation is not contemplation. Meditation is not to fill his head with notions. Meditation is not to find something that will puzzle the priests. Meditation, and I thank you for not doing that to me, uh, meditation is not emptying your mind. When we meditate on the Word, the purpose of meditating on the Word is so that we do not forget what we have learned. Meditation on the Word of God is the process of hiding it in your heart. That's what meditation is. Both as a man and as a magistrate, he was told to do this. Observe to do according to what was written in the law, and several things were written which had a particular reference to the business that was now at hand for him. The law concerning their wars, they were to destroy the Canaanites. We know from today where we live, they did not follow that command. There would be no Kabul, there would be no Jordan or Saudi Arabia or anything. They did not observe what God commanded. Joshua did, but those that came after him. Remember why? Because they wanted a king. They wanted a king. And boy, did they get one. Saul. Number two, they, they, these he must religiously observe. And Joshua was, was going to be a man of great power and authority, but he himself had to be under the command and bridle of God himself. True great ministers and great leaders are bridled and, under the, and have obedience and in total fealty to God alone. And so firstly... He must do what is written, the text says. That goes without saying. Secondly, he must do according to what was written, exactly observing the law in his copy of it. Thirdly, he had to do according to all that was written without exception or reserve, having a respect to all God's commandments, even those which are most displeasing to the flesh and blood. Number four, 
he must observe and do and observe the checks of conscience, the hints of providence, and all the advantages of opportunity. If he saw the opportunity, he was to seek it for the Lord. And God even said, wherever you set your foot, I'm going to give to you. And so what do you think they should have done? They should have just gone over there and run all over the place. Because anywhere you set the sole of your foot will be yours. Fifthly, he must not turn from it. We can not turn away from God in these times. This nation and this planet is on the verge of something so tremendous because these are hard times and during hard times God raises great men. And He is raising them up. We may be the generation that is in the desert for 40 years, but Sam and Ainsley and Alyssa and the Medcalf girls and Kaysen and all of them and Truett and Care Grace, they may be some of your ages when they see this take place. And there was a place they came on the corner in the middle of nowhere that God set out for them where they could be cool and comfortable and say, I'm going to birth what I'm going to do not only there but any other places I choose to fit my future leaders. I want to be a link in that chain because I believe it. History always repeats itself and we are in a time of a turning and history is about to repeat. Why? Because God is the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And because He is my dear, blessed, beloved friends, whom I thank you for letting me be your pastor. Some of you have a little bit more steel wool than others. Get that? Some sheep have steel wool. But I'm telling you, the same God of Joshua is the same God you have. And God makes a simple request. Do what He says. And if you don't like it, then you pray as the missionaries pray when they're served entrails full of the stuff entrails hold at a meal in Bangladesh or in India. And you pray this prayer if you don't like it. You pray this prayer. You say, oh God, help me. Lord, I'll take it in. If you'll help me, keep it down. Some things are going to be hard, but I will tell you there is only one thing harder than you obeying God and not liking what He asks you. It's when He sends you leanness of soul. And that leanness has come for some. He will send the leanness of soul. And some have even experienced the dark night of the soul. And there are even those who have openly, unashamedly declared they were never believers to begin with. But those that are rooted in the Word of God, they cannot turn from it. And thus we must do this last thing. 
we must be strong and courageous. Why? Because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Those that have grace, I close with this. Listen to this. Listen carefully to this. This is to me something I'm going to go print and put on the door of my office before I walk out. I did not write this, but listen to this. Those that have grace, those that have grace have need to be called upon again and again to exercise their grace in times of difficulty so that before the world they may improve it. Those of us that have grace are going to be called over and over again to difficult things to prove to the world that we have this grace and in God's hands He improves it. Don't run away. Be strong and courageous for do not tremble or be dismayed. The Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Whoo! Let's stand. I guess my battery died on my clock. I don't even know what time it is. Oh, it's still before lunch anyway. I want you to bow your heads and I want you just to be quiet for a moment. I want you to digest this. It is a right and fitting thing that you do it. You digest what you have heard. And what you heard is what you were supposed to hear. If you didn't hear all of it, you heard what you were supposed to hear. Father, thank you for such a truth that is 3,000 years old that resonates in our spirits today as if we had heard it for the first time. Lord, we are going to be okay. We are going to be okay as your children. You, Lord... You have caused the barren to, give, to bring forth life in this church. You have healed the cancers. Lord, you have restored the broken. Lord, you have brought about new things. Lord, you have preserved this little group, this merry band. And Lord, you have, you have preserved it through onerous times. And yet grace has prevailed. How, such, how should such grace prevail? Because everything you have done is not because we deserved it. You have done everything for us because of your namesake. Having broken the curse 
leading us as sons and daughters to glory and to righteousness. Oh, Father, well up in us such courage and encouragement to our neighbors who are so sideways with what they hear and see. Give us the wisdom and the fortitude and the prudence, God, and courage to set down the news, to set down the newspaper, and to pick up the Word of God to spend time. Let it read us as we read it. May we find our consolation in Jesus. And may we have the sublime satisfaction of seeing the work that you're doing in us as your faithfulness to us. May we be surprised by, the, by your actions in and through us as we touch others, knowing that these works of our hands, not the left hand or the right hand, but both hands, going forth and encouraging our neighbors and our communities. May it truly come to fruition in our lives and our consciousness, not only to seek to magnify Christ through ministering to people, but may we do it. We thank you that we have the blessing of Aaron, where we are blessed and where we are kept, where you do make your face to shine upon us and you have been gracious to us. And Lord, even through the preaching of the word, whether lengthy or not so lengthy, you still turn your face towards us and give us peace. So I ask, Father, for my friends as they go before you, I leave them your word that the word of Christ would dwell in them richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that in all that they do will be done with thankfulness in their hearts towards God. And that whatever we do in word or deed, that we would do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, in Jesus' name, and God's people said, thankfully, amen. amen. I